The word porcupine means quill pig or thorn pig. However, a porcupine is not a pig at all. A porcupine is actually a rodent, one of the largest rodents out there, but a rodent nonetheless. And these prickly rodents are found all over the globe. There's approximately 40 different species of these rodents out there. The largest of them is the North American porcupine. The North American porcupine can grow up to be about 35 pounds. And, and its diet consists primarily of wood, although they will also eat fruit and leaves. And apparently they really like in the spring tree buds because they will crawl out on the end of a limb trying to get these tree buds. And they are known for falling out of trees all the time. All right? They're actually a very bright animal, except when it comes to tree buds. But the most important aspect of a porcupine is its quill. This is what makes it so recognizable. These quill are remarkable. They're actually hair. They are long, stiff, hollow hairs that have a barb at the end. And actually, not just any barb. If you look under a microscope, you will see about 700 to 800 barbs. And when one of these barbs gets caught in the face of one of its predators that's trying to turn the porcupine into a meal... The body heat of the predator causes those barbs to expand, making it even more painful and more difficult to get out, usually causing the predator to give up, to run away, and give up trying to make the porcupine a meal. Yeah, that's a great picture, isn't it? And what's really scary is that these porcupine have about 30,000 of these angry hairs on their back and tail. Now, they cannot shoot them, as myth tries to say they can, but they sure do lose them really, really easily. All it takes is a light brush, and they fall off, and they get caught in you. And because it's hair, they just regrow back. And so if they lose a few thousand to keep some animal away, they'll just regrow it, and they just keep right on living. But there's a side effect to having such an amazing defense system. It turns out the porcupines really don't like to get quilled by their friends either. And so the North American porcupine spends most of his or her time living in a tree alone. Only time you see porcupines around other porcupines is when it's mating season or a mom is with her singular young. Otherwise, they live alone. Now, by this point, you're probably wondering, why is Aaron turning his sermon into a National Geographic special? I mean, like, where is he going with this? My point is this. Even though you and I have to interact with other humans at work, at home, at school, in the neighborhood. I think emotionally a lot of us are porcupines. I think a lot of us have retreated away into our own little emotional treetop where people don't really get to know the real us. Because we've had moments where we've been around other humans and they've said something or done something that have hurt us. We've been quilled and we prefer to just retreat into our own little world. I was hired in 2002 to be the young adult pastor at a large growing Bible church. Uh, at that time, they were averaging about seven to 800 people in attendance. But their roster, their database, only had about 75 young adults. And when I began to contact these young adults to find out if they were really part of the church, only about 50 were. And if I, took, I found out really quickly that there was no young adult ministry, and these 50 young adults that were on the database that considered this their church, many of them didn't even know each other. 
And so one of the first things I needed to do was just to plan an event for some of them to come together, meet other people in their same demographic, their same life stage, and also for me to get to know them. And so I sent out an email inviting everyone over for a particular Friday night to come to my house just to, to hang out, eat food, and get to know one another. And in reply to that email, I got a scathing response Basically saying the last thing we needed was just another event for young adults that we needed to be starting Bible studies. And if I wasn't going to do that, I was a failure as a pastor and they didn't understand why in the world this church even bothered to hire me. So needless to say, I wasn't exactly driving over to this guy's house to give him a hug. You know, I, I kind of was hoping he wouldn't show up at the event. I, I wanted to do what I could to avoid him because that hurt. I hadn't even been there like two months and already I'm being told you're not a good enough pastor. I suspect some of you have had something happen like that to you. Someone says something really hurtful. Someone betrays you. You get quilled. And there's nothing in you going, oh, come here. No, you, you want to retreat into your own little treetop to stay away. And yet, when I read the scriptures, I don't see God having created us to be in emotional, spiritual isolation like a porcupine. What I see is God has created humans to be in relationship. That, that he, as a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, lives in this perfect relationship within himself. And he's created us in his image. And so therefore, we are to live in relationship with one another. But because of sin, oftentimes those relationships bring pain. And we end up being quilled. Emotional quills have caused divorce. They have caused estrangement. They've caused church splits. They've led to wars. They've led to racism. They've led to slavery. They've led to misogyny. Emotional quills have caused all sorts of damage within our world. And yet today, I'm going to tell you, you need to be in relationship. Because I believe what God wants for us to do is to fight through these quills and fight for relationships. Because I believe that as we work through these painful things, God can do something beautiful. And it's through these relationships that God accomplishes his greater goal of not just protecting us from quills, but to making us more like Jesus. Because what this world desperately needs is people who love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. But for us to do that, we're going to have to fight through some quills. And so today, I'm going to be calling you out of your porcupineness. And I'm calling you into community because I believe that God has something beautiful for you there despite the pain that might exist. So Father, as we get ready to come to the scriptures, I pray that you would be the teacher. I realize that today's topic could be painful for some people. That, that some of us in this room have, have gone through something very difficult in our past where someone has said horrific things to us or they have done absolutely awful, evil things to us. And so to hear that we are to be in relationship with other people, it, it, it can be scary. And so God, I pray that right now you would create a, a space where everyone would know that when we're in your hands, we're okay, we're safe, and that you've got us. And Lord, help us to be settled in that moment so that we can truly hear what you want to say to us through your word, so that we can live these lives that you've called us to live. Because there is a world that's hurting out there. They have been quilled, and it's us that you want to help send to help remove those quills and help call them into a better life in following Jesus. So Father, be you be our teacher today. And it's in Christ's name I pray.
Amen. Last week, we kicked off our summer series that I'm just simply calling Disciplined. Uh, We're spending nine weeks looking at different spiritual disciplines. And last week, we looked at the discipline of Scripture. If you missed last week, you can go on our website and catch up with that. But before we got to that talk of of the discipline of Scripture, I needed to take a moment and kind of lay some groundwork. Because some people approach the spiritual disciplines like it's a magic pill. That, that if they just engage in certain spiritual disciplines, then suddenly their relationship with God is just immediately perfect and other people will be just really impressed. It, it, it's like it just makes everything all the better. And, and it's not a magic pill, nor are spiritual disciplines like a legalistic list of rules that we've got to do in order to like appease an angry God or to, you know, really impress him or make him love us more. That, that, that really it, it's about being invited into activities that allow God to do a deep work in us. My, my belief is that God wants to do a great work through you, but before he'll do that great work through you, he wants to do a great work in you. And that great work he's wanting to do is to mold and shape and fashion you into the image of Christ. We looked at Romans uh, eight twenty nine last week of how God is wanting to conform us into the image of his son. One of the things that God can use to accomplish that are these spiritual disciplines. So these are not things you have to do. These are things you get to do. And it's not something you're going to do one time and just immediately everything is going to be great. No, it's something that you need to enter into over and over and over. You need to be disciplined with it. But as you allow this discipline to work in your life, God does that deep work in you. And so today we're going to look at how God wants to shape us into that image of Christ through the spiritual discipline of community. Did you know that in the New Testament, over 50 times, God commands us to do something for one another. It could be love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. Like over and over, it keeps saying to do these one another's. But guess what? In order for you to do these one another's, you kind of got to get out of the tree and get into relationship with other people. A little hard to love someone from a distance. But it's as you get in there, okay, now I can forgive one another because We're in relationship. You hurt me and I can forgive you. But it still hurts at times. And so rather than just go to one of these instructional one another passages, I want to take you to a story. A story that I think powerfully shows what community can do. And it shows us the difficulty of it, but it shows us something beautiful through it. And this story is found in Luke chapter 5. So if you brought a Bible today, open it up to Luke chapter 5. At Riverwood, we do not care if you use a paper copy or a digital copy. So if you have a Bible on your phone, open that up. However, if you weren't here last week, I announced that during this discipline series, we're not going to show the scripture on the screen. And I'd like everyone to be able to read it. So if you do not have a Bible, just simply slip your hand in the air. One of our ushers will hand one to you. And I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. So I want everyone to have a Bible. We've got plenty of them. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at this story. As you're turning to Luke 5, let me just kind of set the stage for for what we're going to see. Because we're in the book of Luke, it's going to be about Jesus. Jesus is early in his public ministry. um, we, We believe that Jesus started his public ministry at about age 30. But when he was 13, most likely he would have quit school to begin to learn the family trade. We know that Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so Jesus would have just begun to learn this. Now, after Luke 2.52, we no longer hear of Joseph in the, the story of Jesus. And so we think somewhere between age 13 and 30, Joseph passed away and Jesus just continued on the carpentry family business. But then at age 30, he made a change. 
He went from being a carpenter who built things with wood and stone to being someone who was seeking to build lives. He began to travel around and teach about the kingdom of God. What's, ha- what's interesting is as he began to travel around, his teaching was different than the rest of the other rabbis that were out and, the, and these different teachers. In fact, the scriptures say that he taught with authority. And pretty soon, people were so in awe of his teaching, they began to tell other people about it. So word began to spread. I mean, they didn't have social media where people could tweet about this, you know, new Jesus guy out of Nazareth. Like, somehow, though, the word spread. And what we're going to see here is all of these people gather to come hear Jesus. But some of them, it's not necessarily to learn. It's more to question. Join me in chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. This is how famous Jesus has already become. His public ministry has just begun. He's traveled around a little bit in the Galilee region. Galilee is like a state. So imagine like the state of Iowa, state of Nebraska. And within the state of Galilee, this region is the tiny little town of Nazareth where Jesus is from. However, when he began his public ministry, he decided to go to Capernaum, another city within the Galilee region. Then anytime you read about stuff happening in Judea, the big city in Judea is Jerusalem. And so this is saying that not only did some Jewish leaders, some some scribes, people who were really familiar with the Hebrew scriptures from Galilee come to hear him, his fame had already spread down throughout Judea and even to Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith. Now, the reason these guys were coming was not because they too wanted to be in awe of Jesus and his teaching. The reason they came was because they were really doubtful of him. You see, Jesus didn't go through their schooling the way they should have. See, most kids would go through schooling up to about age 13 when they would quit school and begin to learn the family trade. Often moms were preparing young women for marriage and and family life. Young men were beginning to learn the trade from their father. Those who were really, really good, really, really bright, seemed to excel in school, rabbis would say, hey, I want you to follow me. And they'd invite them in, and then they would continue on through their schooling, working to become a rabbi. Jesus didn't go through seminary. So they're wondering, who is this guy? Like, he quit school at 13. He's a carpenter. Who gave him the right to teach with this authority? And so they're there not to learn. They're there to question. They're there to discern. They're wondering, is he really one of us? Is he really from God? Is he really accurate? And so they're coming in with a lot of skepticism. But yet, the room is filled, not just with these Jewish leaders there to discern, but just people who want to hear. And that's when this happens. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. We need to stop, and I want you to just imagine this scene. It's actually kind of funny. It's humorous. Because these these guys carry their friend on this bed, this mat, and they're approaching the house where Jesus is at. If you go into the book of Mark and you read his account of it, this is happening in Capernaum at Jesus's house. So wherever Jesus was staying, people have gathered there. And not only is it filled with these Jewish leaders wanting to to listen and and discern, is he really from God? But because of the temperate climate, the windows are open. And so people are just gathered around outside to hear. 
And I imagine these guys bringing their friend, on, you know, they're, they're carrying him in on a stretcher, and they're starting to say, hey, excuse me, can, can, can we get through? And people start going, shh, I can't, I can't hear. Be quiet. And they kind of look at each other like, what are we going to do? We, we can't get into Jesus. Do we just sit and wait this out? But, I mean, Jesus could probably, I mean, he's a preacher. He probably could preach for, you know, several hours. You know, what, what do we do? And that's when one of them gets this idea. Wait, what, what about going on the roof? And we, we go in through. Because the way their houses were constructed were very different than ours. And they start thinking, we could poke a hole through this. And so they do. They somehow hoist their friend up onto this roof. It would have been a flat roof. And then I don't know if they had some tools or if they just with their bare hands, but they start trying to break back the tile. And I just imagine Jesus is inside talking and all of a sudden people are starting to look up at the ceiling because they could hear the footsteps. And then suddenly they start hearing some pounding and, and ripping and all of a sudden like little shreds of the ceiling start falling. And they start backing away, and all of a sudden you see a hole, and they just keep ripping it back, and, and you know, people start panicking, they're, they're pulling back, and all of a sudden, this guy in this bed starts being lowered in by rope, and I highly doubt it was a nice, you know, smooth, Mission Impossible type of dropping. Like, it had been, rot, you know, falling back and forth, and the guy's probably hanging on for dear life, like, no guys, stop, stop! And they drop him right in front of Jesus. All eyes are on this. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Jesus, I, I just, I absolutely love this story. There, there is so much in this that we, we could look at. We, we could look at the miracle itself of Jesus healing this guy. You, you know, just showing how Jesus truly was God, that he had authority over even this man's lameness. And, and yet the, the authority to forgive sin. Or, or we could go and we could look at these Jewish leaders. How, I mean, Jesus, the son of God is sitting right there in their midst and they're totally missing it. We could talk about how you and I, maybe sometimes God is working all around us, and yet we totally miss it. Or we could even go in and look at how Jesus, he says to the guy first, your sins are forgiven. That it's more important to deal with the spiritual than it is the physical. Because Jesus knew that his physical disailment was only for this lifetime. That in heaven, he won't be lame. But the most important thing was that his sins be forgiven. There is so much we could talk about in this. But today, I want us to look at this through a lens of community. I want us to look at the relationships that exist here. And when I view this passage through that sort of a lens, there's one word that really jumps out at me. It's in verse 20. This is as they're lowering the guy through the roof. It says that when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. The word that jumps out to me is that word, there. It says he saw their faith, not his faith, their faith. 
This is not a story about one man wanting Jesus to heal him. This is a story about a group of friends that were committed to one another, so much so that they're willing to not just wait out the crowd. They want to take him on the roof, rip open a hole. I mean, someone's going to have to pay for that and fix it to lower him down so that he can get healed. This is about community. And when Jesus saw their faith, he steps in and says, your sins are forgiven you and goes on to heal the guy. If you really stop and think about this, this is a powerful story about community because that guy on that mat could do nothing for himself. I, I mean, think about it. He couldn't get up to walk to market to buy himself some food. He, he couldn't get up in that day and age. All the jobs would be labor. And so he couldn't get up and, and go do a job. You know, maybe this guy used to be able to run around. He was the coolest guy. Everyone loved hanging out with him. And, and now because of an accident, he's paralyzed. He can't provide for his family. And, and worst of all, this guy can't even get up to go to the bathroom. Someone else is going to have to clean up after him. This guy is totally, completely dependent upon others. My brother uh, lives in New Mexico. His wife is in the Air Force, and uh, they're, they're stationed in New Mexico. However, she just left for an overseas assignment for six months. And in that time, when she was being sent overseas, my brother found out he's going to have to have shoulder surgery. Turns out that the bicep muscle had kind of become detached from up in the shoulder, and it wasn't going to heal itself. So they went in and did surgery, and he's going to be in a sling for six months weeks solid and then have months of of uh you know physical therapy and healing so my awesome parents drove down to new mexico on my wife and i's anniversary my dad drove my brother five hours away to the hospital the surgery took place and then he drove him five hours back home and last night i'm talking to my mom and i said how's Derek doing and she said you know he's doing really well he's, he's being great on his exercises he's doing all these things but man there sure have been some funny moments like what? She says, well, for one thing, he can't put deodorant on his other arm. And so my mom is having to put deodorant on her 43-year-old son. Or there was one day where he came walking out and he goes, um, mom, I, I got my shorts up, but I can't tie them. Could, could you tie my shorts? And, and they're just choosing to laugh about it. But yet the reason we laugh is because it runs totally against our American culture. Our culture values independence. Like individual strength, with stories that people just pull themselves by their bootstraps. That's what we value. I mean, for instance, right now, last night, was it last night or two nights ago, the Golden State Warriors won the, the NBA championship. They, they swept the Cleveland Cavaliers, won four games to zero. At the end, it's not enough for them to just hand a trophy to the winning team. They name an MVP, the most valuable player. They identify one individual who is better than all the rest. We always seem to have to recognize the individual. Like right before the finals, the big, you know, to do on sports media and, and on Twitter was who's the best, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? And I mean, people were bringing all sorts of statistics. I mean, they're fighting over which one's the goat, the greatest of all time. And no, it's, it's Michael. No, it's LeBron and on and on and on and on. And what I've noticed in these conversations, no one is talking about the coaches that really input into these guys and helped them. No one's talking about the doctors and trainers who help them to stay healthy, who help them learn the right methods and techniques in order for them to, to stay healthy and, and, and continue to improve and get strong. No one's talking about the families that were there to sort of support them and help them and, and encourage them. And, and sometimes they talk about the teammates, 
But usually they talk about which one had the worst teammates, which meant they were actually the better one. Like, no one talks about the team. They're talking about the individual. And when your culture regularly speaks over and over and over about the individual, the individual, the individual, guess what happens in our thinking? We think about the individual. Which means we think about me. How do I feel? How do I compare? It becomes all about me. But when you live in the me, you're living in your porcupineness. You're off in your own little treetop making it all about, am I finding my own food? Am I finding my own happiness? Am I finding my own satisfaction? And we live in the me. But when you live in the me and you live in the porcupineness, you can't have good, healthy, strong relationships. And I believe that God wants to call you out of that porcupineness to step away from just about being all about the individual, being all about self, so that you can enter into these relationships and into this community because that's where God's going to do his greatest work. However, to do that, you're going to have to do two things. And I see them right here in Luke 5. The first thing that you're going to have to do if you want to have these type of relationships to enter into the spiritual discipline of community, you have to lay down your quills. You're going to have to lay down your quills. In other words, you're going to have to choose to let people get in close. I mean, just think about the guy on the mat, right? If he was a jerk to everyone, he's going to die. He is so dependent upon other people bringing this food to him for helping clean up after him. If he's going to go out and beg on the street for money, he's got to have someone carry him there. He is completely dependent upon others. And so he has to lay down his quills. He's got to set down his ego. He's got to just put aside some of the individualness and let people serve him and bear this burden with him. That is so hard for us. So hard. We struggle so badly to let people in and truly serve us and be with us. Why? Because if we really lay down our quills and let people in, they're going to get to know the real us. And we fear that they may not like us. One of the biggest criticisms that I hear about Christians and about church is that it's just filled with a bunch of fake people. That, that, that someone will go and visit a, a church and they'll feel like all they see is a bunch of people dressed up, nice smiles on their face, talking about how great their week was, how everything's awesome. And it's almost like they're peacocks strutting their feathers out. Like, look how great my life is. And what they don't realize is those feathers that they're spreading out are actually quills. What we've got to do is, is lay those things down and admit, I don't have it all together. My life in some areas is actually a mess. Like, I struggled this last week with this. This didn't go quite that well at work. Right now, one of my kids does not like me. And our fear is that if we let people see those things, it's going to push them away. What I've discovered is so often when we lay down the quills and we let people see who we really are, it often actually draws them in toward us. The gospel helps us to lay down our quills. The... the the gospel says that you are far more sinful than you ever realized. And that means every single human on earth. And so we may as well own up to it. I don't think we need to go around celebrating our sin, but I think we should go around at least admitting our sin. And when we admit our sin, we're showing our need for the gospel. 
But at the same time, the gospel says you are far more loved than you could ever dream, which means you're fine laying down your quills because you are loved by God. And so it really doesn't matter what other people think about you because you know that in God's eyes, you're loved and he's working on the sin. He's working on the quills. And so you can lay them down and let people in. Maybe you're sitting there th- saying, Aaron, <laughs> I've tried. I- I- I've-, I've laid down the quills and I got hurt. I got hurt badly. Did you know that in a porcupine, within their skin, they actually have an antibiotic. Only mammal with an antibiotic in their skin. I think God primarily put that in there to protect them from themselves because apparently when they fall from those trees, their quills can actually bend and, and stab them. And so it's to protect them from infection from themselves. But also, every once in a while, two porcupines do get kind of close and sure enough, one will get quilled and there's protection. I believe that the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is like a spiritual antibiotic to you. I am not trying to downplay what was done to you or what was said to you. I, I want you to hear me clearly. If someone has done something, something absolutely illegal, evil, cruel to you, I am not saying that you just wash it off and pretend like nothing happened. But what I am saying is that God can protect you and he can heal you. That pain you felt, that's not the end. There can be healing and it can come through Christ. And if you let the love of Christ surround you and protect you, you will find that healing and it will allow you to lay the quills down and get close to someone again. The only way we're going to experience these type of relationships is if we first take the step of laying down our quills and taking a chance. Yeah, it means that people are going to see the real you. Chances are we're going to really like the real you. We're going to love you. We're going to want to see God work in your life. So the first thing you got to do is lay down your quills. Second thing you need to do is you need to carry the quills of others. You need to carry others' quills. Just think about these guys uh, that are carrying this mat. Somehow, some way, these guys are committed to this gentleman on the mat. Uh, Like I, you know, hypothesized a little earlier. Maybe this guy used to be the, the funnest guy around. He told the best jokes. He was a hard worker. And then an accident happened and it paralyzed him. And maybe because he'd been there for them and other things, they, they took it upon themselves to, to be there for him. Uh, John Ortberg, in his book, uh, Everybody, uh, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them, he talks about this story, and he calls this group the Fellowship of the Mat. You know, a little playoff of uh, Tolkien's uh, Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Mat. These guys were for each other. They're with each other, which is remarkable because they're around this paralyzed guy who can't do anything for them. And they could begin to see him as just a time suck and as an emotional suck. But they don't. They're there for him. Now, now, maybe they've been working so long in like providing for him. Maybe this guy has a family. So now they're having to provide for his family because he can't do it himself anymore. Or maybe they're just really, really tired of cleaning up after him, after his bowels and his intestines empty themselves. And so maybe the reason they're bringing him to Jesus is just to try and get some relief for themselves. But I don't think so. Because it says that Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. That tells me these guys are in it together. That is carrying each other's quills. 
many, many years ago, uh, my wife and I were leading a small group uh, in Cedar Rapids in our home. And it was just really interesting, the group that God kind of put together. It was either people who were brand new to the Christian faith, people who had been part of a church for a long time, but were really, really would admit they, they didn't know a whole lot about the Bible or about Jesus, and so they felt really young, new in their faith, or people who were investigating the Christian faith. And there was one couple in our group who, it was pretty obvious in week one, that they weren't followers of Jesus yet. Like, they had had a lot of drama, a lot of things happened to them, and so they believed there was a God. What they doubted was, was God good? Well, over the weeks, we began to really see them taking some big spiritual steps, really seeking to grow. And, and there seemed to come the moment where it seemed like they placed their faith in Jesus. But, but a few weeks later, there was a, a week where the, the husband wasn't able to come. He started a new job that we'd been praying for, and he got. And so we were really excited about that. But that, in that new job, they'd asked him one night to stay late. So he did. Next night, same thing. Work kept him late. Next week, the car wasn't working, and so he stayed home to, to get it repaired because they only had these two vehicles, and they were dependent upon both of them, and so he needed to get it repaired. And then the next week, he wasn't there, and the next week, and the next week, and there were just all these excuses. One night in our study, the, the wife begins to talk, and all of a sudden, she begins to share and confess that she and her husband are actually separated. That she'd been hiding this from us. They were still living in the same house, but sleeping in different bedrooms, and they, they were no longer even talking. And when they did talk, it just would devolve into an argument. And she began to break down in tears. And you realize she had just laid down her quills, and then she felt embarrassed. And you could just sense that she wanted to run away. Now, this couple, as they'd been part of our group, there had been a few moments where they shared some stories that I could tell it caused people within our group to kind of go, <gasps> like they just wanted to pull back and retreat to their own little tree. And in that moment, they sensed, this is getting really messy. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there were two or three people in our group who wanted to kind of pull back. But they didn't. Instead, we invited her to sit in a chair in the middle of the room, and our group came around her and prayed for her. That was a scary moment. I mean, she, she may not have been a follower of Jesus yet, and now she's just exposed this junk to us, and now we're saying, hey, sit here, and we'd like to all gather around you and pray for you. But she went ahead and led us, and about 15, 20 minutes later, after a number of us had prayed, she's in tears, and pretty soon she's hugging many of us. And it didn't end there. We didn't just pray and say, okay, great, now on your way. No, like we continued to love her through this. Well, one gal in particular really took it upon herself to reach out, like just send her text to give her a phone call, like, hey, let's go and hang out, get the kids together. And she just walked through this with her. And then she and her husband decided to invite this gal and her husband, who they'd been estranged, over. And they started hanging out as couples. And pretty soon, Leanne and I are inviting both of them over. We're just hanging out, doing what we could to just help love them through this. That is being the church. That is what God calls us to do. It is to carry one another's quills. That when someone exposes their junk, rather than retreat to our tree... We got to lean in and carry these quills with them. Yes, we might get hurt. Yes, it might get messy, but God can protect you. He's with you. And so he can use you to love them and help them because what they need in that moment is to be carried. And I'm seeing you guys do it. Just a few weeks ago, Jacob Tews had to leave to lead a midterm trip to Europe because his job required him to do it. And he left behind his wife, and his six beautiful kids, the youngest of whom had been born just three weeks earlier. I don't know how he did it, 
probably because Warburg forced him. I don't know that I could have done it. I might have quit my job to leave my three-week-old, leave my wife with all these kids. I got this like panicked text from Jacob, like the day he's driving to the airport, just like, Aaron, can you guys be there for leave? And you guys were amazing. Some of you, you just popped over and you did the dishes. You just went in and you started playing with the kids. Some of you, you just hung out with Leith just so she knew, hey, you're still a human. You're still alive. It's okay. We're with you in this. You guys were phenomenal. It was so much fun to see Jacob back at my daughter's graduation party and for him to sit there and say, it was so wonderful to know my wife was being taken care of. I've sometimes come over to some of your houses and sometimes the first thing you say to me is, oh, sorry, it's a mess. And I love what my wife says. She says, I'm not here to see your house. I'm here to see you. That is love. That's walking in and seeing the mess, seeing the dishes in the the kitchen, seeing the the mess in the living room, seeing the kids run around going crazy and saying, so what? Because I love you. Because if I'm honest about the gospel, my life's a mess too. You might not see it in my house, but if you hang out with me long enough, you'll see it in my life. And yet God loves me, he's working in me, and he can do the same in you. And if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, it means we not only have to lay down these quills, but we've got to carry each other's quills. And if we live that way, we see God do something tremendously in us, molding us and shaping us into that image of Jesus. And we will see a world around us saying, wow, look at that. That's something I want to be a part of. Because... As much as each of us are emotional porcupines, because that image of God is in us, there's still something longing for relationship. And there will be people who will take a step in here wondering, am I going to get quilled or am I going to be accepted? And if we're the people who are willing to lay down our quills and carry other people's quills, we will see God also work in them as he works in us. So some really practical ways you can live this out. First, Get into a growth group. Now, our groups are taking a break over the summer, so I realize that's a little hard. you got to kind of wait till this fall. But you know what? Don't wait for Riverwood to create the environment for you. You go and create it. Like, just invite someone over for pizza or, or to barbecue. You know, maybe it's a, a mom's playgroup date with the, the kids. Maybe it's the guys going out and doing a fishing trip. Maybe it's just, you know, couples getting together. You know, plan a movie night. You know, like, just begin to get into relationship. Oftentimes, it can start right here on a Sunday. Rather than just picking up your Bible and heading out the door, maybe you take a moment and you stop and talk to someone. And I know it it reaches that awkward place of, okay, wait, I know their face. I can't remember their name. All right, then help everyone out and wear a name tag. Let them see your first name and make it easy. And you know what? Just do what I do. Say, hey, my name's Aaron. I can't remember yours. What's your name? And just introduce yourself. You just start asking questions. Just get to know each other. Are you going to expect to know everyone here? Absolutely not. But can you get to know a few people here? Absolutely. And as you lay down your quills and they begin to know the real you and yet see you chasing Jesus in that, they're probably going to be drawn to you. And they'll know you're the type of person who will help carry their burdens with them, who will help carry their quills. And we will begin to see biblical community just continuing to form within our Riverwood family. And as we do that here, we'll see it spill out. We will see people's lives changed around this community because we chose to be a community. So I'm going to encourage you, lay down your quills, let others into your life as you seek to get into other people's lives. And even if they quill you unintentionally, 
fight through the quills for the relationship. Because as you seek to get into intentional, gospel-centered relationship, God will do a wonder in you and in them. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us a biblical community. A community that is so committed to you that we put you first and foremost in all things, including our relationships. And Jesus, because you went to the cross, you laid down your quills for us, allowing our quills to pierce you and nailing you to a cross. You did it out of love. You let us near so that we could see who you were and what you were capable of doing. How you could not just heal someone of their physical ailment, but do the more important, deeper work of healing us of our spiritual ailments. So thank you, Jesus, so much for coming, healing us spiritually through the cross. I pray right now for anyone who's here that has not placed their faith in you, that as they see the cross, they realize that they are far more sinful than they realize, and yet you, Jesus, love them so much, you came for them, and you've died for their sins. And it's forgiven. You are opening your arms, inviting them in. You are inviting them in despite their junk, despite their past, despite their doubts, despite their failings. And you're saying, I love you. And Father, I pray you'd make us a church that part of the way these people feel your love is through us. They'd feel it in our conversations. They'd feel it in our presence, and our words. They'd feel it even in a hug. That we would be a people who truly are loving one another because we have allowed you to change us through the spiritual discipline of community. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you would have your way and your will in us as individuals, also as a church family, making us into the image of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.